here. But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> it's amazing how much stuff is getting captured on cameras these days. I mean, there's cameras everywhere. And... Uh, yeah. And uh, and sometimes that works well for the NSA, all right? Which we won't go into this morning. <laughs> I don't think. Maybe we will. Oh um, uh, well, we we do it all the time. I know we do. And, you know? Did and, you see? By the way, do it to us. So you know, did you see the Daily Show the other day? They they did a new. They did their story on this whole NSA revelations and and the and the little comic you know title for that segment was was good news you weren't you really weren't paranoid you know <laughs> and uh, i was th- and yeah, i thought the it, da- daily show was i mean boy they 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 hammered it they, really well, good on monday yeah i mean they would that's it's it's right up their alley anyways um but i thought of us talking here and all our, our regular comments about the nsa and i'm going well shoot maybe jeff wasn't just like you know Anyways, there's cameras everywhere. Airplanes, airplanes. There's cameras everywhere, and uh, and uh, and you got to figure that they're going to catch a crash from time to time. Uh, this one's kind of interesting. Uh, I, I just watched this video last night for the first time. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at it, but uh, it's uh, it's. I don't even know what kind of airplane it is, but it's your basic GA airplane uh, doing a takeoff and having a, a sudden engine failure, according to the notes, around 200 feet off the ground, and. Uh, and from three different angles, you see it uh, uh, maneuver and uh, not exactly go straight ahead for landing, but uh, but maneuver just slightly to find a, a place sort of off, I guess, slightly to the right. And uh, uh, all pretty sobering. In some ways, not as dramatic as you might expect an engine out at 200 feet to be. Right, right. But uh, Yeah, um, as it turns out, a friend of mine was uh, sitting in the right seat on this. Oh, really? Yes, this was coming out of Fairbanks, Alaska last summer. Uh-huh. Um, and this is a um a 33 series Bonanza. Okay. It, it was a um uh sightseeing flight. Oh, guy really? Left, guy in the left seat on the airplane had done a lot of this stuff before. Uh, um guy in the right seat, uh, you know, rated pilot, uh, um aircraft owner, etc. And uh they both um I don't. I don't know. If walked away is the right word. Um, they were they were kind of banged up, mm-hmm. but I don't. I don't think either one of them spent a night in the hospital. Yeah. The, uh, kind of thing. Uh, they, they, so there were three cameras mounted on this airplane, and they showed the footage from each one in its entirety, all by itself. So you saw right. the crash, or you saw the the force landing three times, and uh, the first time was looking forward. And and looking at that one, it looked like well, you know it's funny because he he just made it across a little a little stretch of water like a river or something, right. and uh, and it almost looked like he hit the embankment from the forward looking view as if uh-huh. he kind of hit it and stopped you know within the length of the airplane, but then the other two angles make it look like he actually you know cleared the embankment and slid along the ground for a little ways anyway. So the the stop because yeah. when I saw the first one I thought oh that's a sudden stop somebody got hurt there yeah and. Uh, but uh, and obviously they did get hurt. But uh, um, yeah, I want to I, I want to say banged up. I don't. You know, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't serious injuries by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, they they hit pretty hard, and yeah. and it it appears that they you know didn't put the gear down or anything like that. And I don't think they, uh, don't think they had time. Fixed, fixed gear airplane on this one. You talking? You're still talking about the Cardinal? 
No, no, no. We're not even. Oh, got, we haven't got to the cardinal yet. We're talking about the, uh, the 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 one with the really great video. The uh, the Jeb says it's a bonanza. And uh, 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 sorry, I got to look at it, the cardinal photos and go. I think I that neighborhood. Yeah, we'll come back yeah. to the cardinal. Let's go. But the 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 one with the video is kind of cool. Um, I don't know if there's any. Well, I mean, there's lots of things to learn. One is that see, you can do this. Land straight ahead. Uh-huh. Don't try uh-huh. and go back. I mean, this guy. It was really tempting to turn back. I would imagine. Because there were parallel runways here, um, you know, so he wouldn't have had to kind of make a, a, a you know, sort of a, a, what do they call it, a teardrop mm-hmm. or a, um, you know, turn. The, 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 the 90, 70 turn, whatever they call yeah, it. Right. Yeah, right. You know, he could have just, uh, just you, know, you know, veered around and, and got on that other runway, but he didn't do that. He, now, did you notice that he kind of went to the left at first and then ended up going to the right? I was wondering what that was all about, whether he was, like, trying to figure out where he wanted to go and... Finally decided to go where he ended up, but uh, um, I've not noticed that <sighs> everything happened so quickly on this. From certainly the right seaters, I've talked to him about it, certainly from the right seaters' perspective. Um, it was you know they're up, they got the gear up, the engine quits, um, and the airplane is down. Yeah, it was it was kind of like that. So, um, so uh, this is one of those that um, I'm not going to spend any time whatsoever, you know, trying to um, dive into, explain, justify, question um, um, the, the crew's actions. No, no, uh, I think they, from what the, you can out, see in the, the videos, outcome, yeah, the outcome and what you see in the videos tells a tale and uh, that's all I need to know. Yeah, really. Absolutely. Uh, they had they had you know squat for time, they had squat for altitude. Um, and right now, last time I checked, and right now is another issue, but uh, last time I checked, excuse me, um, NTSB had still not determined a probable cause on this. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, the, there's um, there's no they, no one has found a reason for this engine to have done what it did. Hmm. At this point. Interesting. David, anything you want to add on, on this uh, this uh, well, engine you, out? You, 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 were, you were commenting on the, the little shallow waggle to the left, and I think the guy was looking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, was, all that was was a quick look over his left shoulder and say, is yeah. it worth going that away? No, that's worse. Uh, nothing else is better, but at least that one's worse. And and then he, you know, proceeded to the uh, vacant patch of land between the runways. And yeah. uh, you know, there was traffic departing on the parallel. So I saw I think that he yeah. was anticipating a, a left turnout to avoid the other runways traffic pattern. When the whole thing went south, and it's like, eh, maybe you're not going to go in that direction after all. Yeah, I know. There's nothing over there. So uh, I'll try and make it past that little little river over there. So yeah, anyways. Yeah. So, but he kept his head. You know, I mean, it looks it it, it looks like he kept his head, and, and you know, maybe might have flared a little bit more just for touchdown. Maybe he was flaring as much as he had airspeed for, but. Uh, the fact that, uh, that, that you know, it, quote unquote, you all walked away. Well, the airplane's probably repairable, and uh, more so than the people. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. I, I, the other thing, <clears throat> as far as the terrain is concerned, and uh, flare and all that, uh, the terrain looked to me to be upsloping. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's kind of tough to you know when you got no energy uh, to to you know get, worry too much about getting into a flare. But yeah, Dave Dave's right. I mean, it, uh, boom boom boom, and you know, it's over with. Yeah, there we go. I keep looking at these pictures of this cardinal. Yeah, because I I had some friends that lived in Herndon. Yeah, and uh, a couple of FAA friends actually. And the first couple of shots, I said, "Damn, I think Kenny used to live in that neighborhood." <laughs> uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oops. Wrong link here. Where are we here? Uh, uh, oh yeah. Here we go. This one. Herndon. Where, Herndon. Where is Herndon? Uh, between Dallas and uh, DC. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this guy was just yeah. flying along, and he what? He, he well, we don't. Is there? Do we know what happened? Is there anybody saying what happened here? Because no, I, there's one there, line in this one of these stories that caught my attention, and uh, uh, there was a line that talked about how he. Uh, I can't find it now, but uh, it, it talked about he. Where am I here? It's in it's stories here someplace. Anyways, it talked about he was running out of gas and he was trying to get priority to land at someplace Dulles or something. And but then later on, it talks about how he had an unexpected engine failure. All right. It, it, oh, here is a quote right here. What? Two quotes. It said, rerouted to Dulles when they ran low on fuel. And then elsewhere in the story, it said he had electrical problems and its engine cut off. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it, well, you know, being out of fuel is a definite contributor to engine failure. And I don't know many electrical system problems that cause that. Uh, and dual magneto failures are. Well, uh, I can't even think of how rare they are. Yeah. But so this airplane came down through the roof of a, co- of a house. Right. And so you see some somewhat dramatic pictures there of the tail sticking out of the roof of the house. And doesn't the story say something like uh, he, uh, you know, uh, the two people just, you know, the airplane came through the roof into like the bedroom or whatever. All right. Mm-hmm. And then these guys like stepped out of the airplane and said, you know, oops, sorry, you know, or do you have a phone or whatever. Yeah, it is. There's, a, there's another story and I don't know why or where the link is here. Um, but um, there's another story somewhere that says, yeah, they basically stepped out of the airplane and walked through the house uh, and woke up the residents. Yeah. And so. I just have a hard time imagining. I uh, see. I'm sorry. I'm keep opening things that make noise here. Let's see that. Get rid of that link. Um, you can't hear it, but uh, I keep opening pages that are playing audio. And uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, David Ventura, who lives in the apartment with his family, was awakened by the loud crash and said he was shocked to discover a plane in his living room. Duh! Uh, and two men <laughs> crawling out, asking if everyone was okay. Man, yeah. Talk about. I don't know. I have a hard time picturing an airplane. Hitting this house's the roof hard enough to go through the roof like this, yet not injure these two people on board. It just it's, I have no, a hard time picturing. One of this. them, I'm not sure exactly how it how it worked. And, and this, since this happened in the D.C. area, this the D.C. pilots list was all over this. And in fact, uh, I'm told um, the uh, pilot and aircraft owner, um, was on the list, is on the list. I haven't, we, no one's heard from him, of course, since this event. Yeah. He's probably uh, gone silent. Yeah. yeah he's, he's, uh, he's Nordo right now. But, um, um, the thing that struck me, there was, and not at this link, but there was, there was another link that I saw, um, that had some, uh, photos of the recovery operation. I saw those, yeah. And uh, one of them was a profile view of the aircraft as it was lowered to the ground by crane. Mm-hmm. Um, fairly ticklish thing, I'm sure, but uh, 
whoever the crane operator uh, um, was knows his stuff, um, lifted the airplane out of the house, pivoted the crane, lowered the airplane down to the ground, and basically on what was left of his landing gear. And basically, as I saw this, the uh, you know the from the uh, firewall back, things looked fairly normal. The cabin wasn't deformed. The tail was still the tail. Uh, the wings were banged up um, and, and bent all to hell. But uh, um, there was about six inches of stuff forward of the firewall, then nothing. Yeah. I don't know where the engine was. I don't know where the prop was. Maybe it was still up in the house or something. Maybe they had removed it earlier. I don't know. Um, but it struck me that, you know, um, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, oh, man, uh, oh, man, yeah. Man, it could have been a lot worse. I mean, in some ways, maybe hitting the house, you know, saved them because it kind of cushioned the the, uh-huh. the impact, whereas uh-huh. if they hit solid ground at the angle that they apparently were coming down well, at. That sixth photo in the Washington Post sequence where you see the profile uh, if you look there, you can see the nose gear, the wheel fairing, and follow it up. And the cowling is there, and it looks to be bent at about a 70-degree angle from normal upward. Yeah. And you're looking at the prop and profile with a crushed spinner. And you're thinking, I don't know how they got out of there. Yeah. 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 Yeah, dumb luck, I guess, you know. Um, but it, 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 when I first looked at these, uh, I kept thinking, where's my copy of The World According to Garp? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, so, so we're gonna, yeah, in the forums are going to have to explain that one to me. I know the book yeah. The World According to Garp. I'm not sure if I get the reference here. There was a car airplane crash in that book, wasn't there? At the end of the movie, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the Garp and his new bride are looking for a, uh, a house to buy. Oh, okay. And this agent's showing them a house. Yeah. And they're kind of on the fence about it when this uh, when this uh, little airplane comes sputtering along from the right <laughs> side of the okay. shot. And just right headlong into the second story of the house that they're looking to buy. And Garp says, we'll take it. It's been pre-disastered. <laughs> now I remember. Yeah. Now yeah. I remember. Pre-disastered. Okay. The pilot steps out and goes, is everybody okay? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Got to write that one down. Pre-disastered. Uh, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm here with two of my good friends, and uh, and we're talking about airplanes, mostly. Not completely, but mostly. Uh, Dave, Hig- Dave Higgins there. He's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. How you doing this morning, David? I'm doing great. I'm just you know, really grateful that my, no opportunities ever arose for me to land on the roof of a house. Yeah. Now, I can say this about both of you this morning. You, you can say, tornadoes to the left of me, tornadoes to the right of me. Uh-huh. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. David, so David, you've had some, since the last time we talked, you've had a couple of, of, of near misses. As a matter of fact, uh, many of us uh, in the UCAP community uh, were concerned for you because you had a big tornado touchdown there near... Uh, where was it? Near um, um, ICT oh, near, there, right? Right, near, near Wichita, Mid-Continent. Mid-Continent, uh, yeah. Yeah, this was, uh, well, as we're speaking now, about three weeks ago on uh, May 19th, uh, the bride and the dog and the cat and I watched the storm come in from the front porch of the house. 
until the sky went black and the winds changed and we started to get pelted with ping pong ball size hail. Mm-hmm. And we retreated to the house and watched out the windows and we were look, looking at the weather channel going, yep, there's the tornado southeast of the airport. Uh, well, when it crosses the airport, we're going to go to the we're going to go to the safe room in the house. But the twister ran right up against the back of the thunderstorm and committed suicide. Yeah, it went right up to the edge of the airport, right? Right up to the grounds, practically. Right, just about. Yeah, yeah, about, about a half a mile. And uh, but tornadoes don't live well in pouring rain. Oh, okay. It's not impossible. You'll find them embedded in tropical storms uh, and, and hurricanes, uh, but they're usually between the rain bands right. that are passing through. Right. That's why you can always, that's why these storm chasers uh, get such great photos, is because the storm is behind the rain part and in the clear. Mm-hmm. And uh, if it runs up into the rain itself, it usually has a detrimental effect to the strength of the tornado. So unlike our friends down in Oklahoma, that same day and the following week, uh, we lucked out. Yeah. Now, the way I've imagined the track of this particular tornado, um, if it had continued, it would have not only affected uh, uh, mid-continent, but it might have started to approach uh, dead cow, right? Um, Yeah, it it could have... uh, it could have uh, wobbled a little bit to the south, uh, southeast. Yeah. So, at which point it would have impacted dead cow. It could have impacted dead cow just from debris coming from. Right, and that's actually my question. So, regardless of the fact that it didn't make it there, how did the airports, to your knowledge, how did the airports in the area survive all this excitement? Uh, actually, really well. Uh, there was no damage to mid-continent. Uh, uh, Annie and I cruised over to Dead Cow uh, Sunday afternoon to to say hello and take a look around and no perceptible visual damage there it looked uh, like that old Dead Cow I'm familiar with except a kind of a derelict twin beach seemed to be missing both flaps and both ailerons but I don't think that had anything to do with the weather. I see. Okay. And also here this morning is Jeb Burnside talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How are you doing this morning, Jeb? You've had some tornadoes too, right? We have, yeah. I, um, last week um, had three come through within a 24-hour period, all within five miles of where I'm sitting. Yeah. Uh, which, now, uh, so even though you had no tornadoes, you obviously had some winds. Any damage there at, at Hidden River? Lost or? a tree. And yeah. It was going to come down anyway via chainsaw uh, at some point. Um, so that saved me, I don't know, 10 minutes of chainsaw work, yeah. take, taking the tree down. But now I have, you know, an hour worth of chainsaw work to uh, uh, remove it. So mm-hmm. uh, it could have been a lot worse. It, it missed everything, uh, apparently. Um, and um, just kind of happy to be here. This is all remnants of uh, Tropical Storm Andrea yeah. that uh, went up the uh, East Coast over the weekend. And uh, it started out, of course, in the Gulf of Mexico, right. and that's kind of sort of where I am. Yeah, and, and so you've got that uh, – the, the Debbie's okay because you've got that 500-knot door on your hand. I got now. the 500-knot door. And <laughs> this Debbie, this Debbie door is serious, yeah. sorry, for anybody who – you know, if you get – Do you have a 500-knot roof? That's I, the thing. I have I this image – I have yeah, this I image of a big storm car. coming through, and all that will be left standing is the door. Right? Oh like- yeah, <laughs> that 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 will happen at, <laughs> yeah. at some point in 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 not maybe in my lifetime, but uh, in the door's lifetime. Yeah, 
Um, the the roof will be gone. There'll be a bunch of cinder blocks on the ground. But by God, that door's going to still be there. <laughs> That's quite a door. That's quite a door. It'll Otherwise, give the, it, it'll give the you know the construction guys a place to start rebuilding the hangar. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Jeb. Otherwise, how you doing? What's going on? Doing well. Doing well. Just. Uh, uh, you know, basking in the glow once again of mm-hmm. another issue of uh, uh, aviation safety getting in the can. Yeah. Um, this week, uh, trying to dot some I's and cross some T's and uh, take care of uh, some other projects and, um, you know, just enjoy um, uh, summertime in Florida. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Regular listeners Hot are... fun uh, in the summertime. Yeah. Huh? Regular listeners have probably figured out already that we often schedule this recording to be just after you finished your magazine, so that, yeah. uh, um, that's why you're often basking in the glow when we when we're talking. Um, well, I, I like to bask, so yeah. Well, basking is always a good thing. Yeah. Speaking of basking, I'm Jack Hodgson, and I am here uh, high atop. Where am I? I'm high atop the Venetian Hotel in uh, beautiful downtown Las Vegas, uh, Nevada. Actually, not downtown uh, on the uh, Las Vegas Strip. And uh, here for my annual uh, job project that I do, I've been doing for years now, and uh, have hardly been outdoors here. Um, no tornadoes here. Uh, it's been, I'm told, although I've hardly been outdoors, but I've been told that it's been reaching like nearly 110 every day here. Um, and uh, I know when I get a chance to step outside around 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night, it's still really warm. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, uh, otherwise, uh, uneventful here. I can... Jeb and I were talking uh, before we uh, before we started recording this morning about the fact that I can just barely see the airport off in the distance, uh, McCarran, and uh, not like the old days when I was at the uh, Mandalay Bay, which was right across the street from the airport. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I'm here for a few more days and uh, and then head back to uh, to uh, Lookout Point. So. Well, good. While while you're while you're gone, we'll go ahead and break into the house and steal yeah, all your stuff. Yeah, I know. See, fortunately, I'll be back by the time people hear this. See, so uh, don't get any ideas. Foiled again. I know. Huh? So, uh, what else here? The uh, David, you posted a couple of items here about how the FAA is maybe trying to at least pretend to be accelerating the whole hundred low lead replacement thing. Yeah, they uh, they uh, took a, 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 a I don't know why they hadn't done this before, but they uh, uh, requested and they opened the door to submissions of candidate fuels to replace a hundred low lead, and will accept up to ten candidates for testing uh, between now and uh, I think the first uh, of July next year, 2014. Uh, and they plan on engaging in a full series of tests uh, to find out which one is uh, most suitable and has, I'm presuming here, not only the best performance characteristics, but also the best economics and the best transportation because all three of those are issues. Uh, right. It, that did come into play here. Uh, and the agency says they'll test as many as 10 fuels. There's uh, money in the proposed 2014 fiscal year budget, $5.6 million for the testing. And the goal is to find, uh, select, certify, and start to transition to a substitute uh, by the end of fiscal 2018. So yeah, I'm not sure I would call this the fast track, yeah. uh, but it is a track. Yeah. Have have they announced yet 
whether any of these candidates have been, you know, do we know who the candidates are yet? I guess is my question. Well, the, the, it's up to the it's up to the people with the candidate fuels to submit them, and they haven't that's to the I'm FAA, and, and so we and haven't that reached door that door just opened. So, yeah. uh, I haven't read a release or a statement or an announcement from anyone as of yet saying that they've submitted their fuel and why their fuel should be the one picked. Yeah. Uh, but I expect that to trickle out. I expect to hear a little more about that. Uh, when we're all gathered in Wisconsin next month, right? Right. right. Yeah, Jeb, were you trying uh, to primarily because it's such a great audience for it? Yeah, yeah well, Jeb, it's we, a great audience. Jeb, yeah, go ahead. I, the the second sentence in the lead paragraph. Mm-hmm. Let me read that. The FAA is committed to the development of a new unleaded fuel by 2018 that would minimize the impact of replacing 100 octane low lead fuel for most of the general aviation fleet. Would someone tell me what the hell that means? That's like, that's your, yeah, that's basically the non-announcement announcement, right? It's like... Uh, well, no, that know. means that they're slathering themselves with, uh, with uh, a, a, a lubricant, hopefully uh, biodegradable gel, uh, so that they can slip in the direction that they need to to make this work out to their satisfaction, which means that somebody's going to get it in, 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 in the exhaust pipe. Okay, thank you for that image, David. Really appreciate that. Um, who do we think will be candidate? What, what will be, do we have any guesses as to who the candidates might be? Is it going to be Swift Fuel? Is it going to be just plain old auto gas? Is it? It's going to be Swift and Gammy uh, are going to be two of the players. Presuming yeah. uh, Swift is still with us, I know Gammy is still with us, and uh, from from knowing their management, uh, they will definitely participate in this. Um, who else will participate in this? I have no idea. Remind me, what is the, the sort of general nature of the GAMI uh, uh, proposal? Is, is it GAMI, basically it, – go ahead. Well, yeah. it's been a while, and, and my details are going to be fuzzy. Uh, but the last time I read or, or talked to anybody there, uh, read anything from them or talked to anybody at GAMI, uh, they had a fuel that um, was kind of a, um, a custom blend, um, basically took – uh, 100 low lead took out the uh, lead and put in its place either some greater quotient of one constituent or uh, added in um, some quantity of that that new constituent um, and developed a fuel that has has run fine on their test stand, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't know if that is still the uh, the recipe that Gammy. Um, would want, and you know, I, I just be honest with you, have not been following this all that closely until now, since there hasn't really been any movement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, you know, two two other things going on here. One, um, what the FAA is looking at here, and I'm not really sure how the um, the regulatory environment is going to work here. There is, you know, existing now. If I wanted to run MoGas. Um, in an airplane that was able to run it, all I had, all I would have to do would be to get an STC. The air, the engine, the airplane is certificated for X fuel, whether it's eighty octane or or hundred octane. And uh, to run a different fuel in that, you need some regulatory approval. And uh, the cleanest way to do that is via the supplemental supplemental type certificate process. So anybody could run, you know, any fuel they want. Uh, in uh, such an engine, 
all they have to do is get an SDC. Now there's this other little, you know, small little detail about, you know, production and distribution. Um, and that's really the biggest nut, I think, that has to be cracked in this, in this exercise. Right. Um, how the FAA is going to develop the approvals for this, they may just simply say that, um, you know, um, <clears throat> um, you know, the, the 21st century Avgas fuel, whatever you're going to call it, is, uh, um, an approved substitute for hunter low lead and, and, and leave that alone. But I'm just really leery. The second point here is I'm just really leery of this, this second sentence in this first uh, paragraph. Um, it, it strikes me that the FAA is saying that, well, we're, you know, we're not sure we're going to be able to come up with a hunter low lead replacement and, and some, some airplanes may be affected, uh, but that's not really our problem. Well, yeah, guys, it it, it kind of sort of is your problem um, for for safety reasons on one hand, but on the other hand, you're gonna basically obsolete or ground some portion of the fleet. Um, yeah, that's a problem. Sorry. Yeah. Well, and, you know we we're we're floundering around here without uh, any information. The uh, the goal stated predominantly by the alphabet groups going into this was we need a single drop-in replacement that works for everything. Yeah. And folks, we're not flying with a system like that today. There's a lot of airplanes that burn 100 low lead that would be much happier on lower octane fuel, but they can't get lower octane fuel, so they burn 100 low lead by default. Right. Uh, there are some airports where the grip of of liability, paranoia, or competitive interest haven't banned MOGAS, where a lot of airplanes with the STCs that Jeb was talking about uh, very happily operate on, on 87-octane unleaded car gas. Now, it needs to be alcohol-free, which is a problem these days, or I should say a challenge. It's available. But what's sold for our cars at most gas stations has at least 10% alcohol in it these days, and that's not a happy thing for most airplanes. But we've got a hell of a lot of airplanes out there that are eligible or already have the STCs to run on MoGas that can't get it because their airport fuel supplier put something in the contract that banned the airport from right. selling anything else but their fuel. Right. Uh, we've even seen uh, airports that had a MoGas truck, an Avgas truck, and a Jet A truck retire the MoGas truck when they got a new supplier who, not coincidentally, sells car gas at thousands of stations. But the contract said, well, because of you know, concerns about liability, this airport will no longer sell MoGas because we wouldn't want people to sue us for our car gas being used without authorization. Well, it's not used without authorization. It's used with the authorization of the Federal Aviation Administration under an STC, well, one of two STCs that were developed back in the 1980s, kiddies. Yeah. yeah. 30 years ago. Yeah. 30 years, oh, 31 years ago. Right. So the question is, if there's a liability issue here based on a safety problem traceable to the use of, of MoGas in airplanes, Where's the evidence? Right. Well, the evidence is, I won't say evidence, the, the, the real deal in that is 
um, they don't want the, the the supplier companies, the oil companies, don't want the liability of having screwed up the delivery. Yeah, it, it's covering their ass and ignoring exactly. ours. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, this you know. happened at an airport where we based our uh, our airplanes. Uh, our first airplane, our little Cherokee 140, was already STC to use MoGas when we bought it, and you know. Uh, two years, three hundred and thirty hours, burning everything from a hundred percent to fifty-fifty. Uh, I never heard the engine complain. Yeah. I never had a problem with yeah. it. My A and P would pull the spark plugs out and goes, "Wow, man, uh, those are really clean." Uh, I'm not going to make any money cleaning your spark plugs because they don't need it. Yeah. Uh, and we traced most of that, not all of it, most of that to the fact that we were predominantly burning. Uh, MoGas available from our airport MoGas fuel truck. Uh, just before we sold that airplane, the city council that serves as the airport's board of directors um, bought into a sweetheart deal with a new fuel supplier and suddenly wasn't allowed to sell MoGas anymore. Yeah. And the new supplier is a company that I, I won't mention because they're not here to defend themselves. They were very generous in buying out the old fuel truck from them. <laughs> okay. okay. Hey, I want to move along here, but I did. Um, do, you, do either of you know anything what's become about Swift Fuel? It, it, there was a time when Swift Fuel seemed to be very, very promising, and uh, and you hardly hear about them now. Is it? Well, they they tested Swift Fuel and they tested it to the ASTM requirements, and say that they got the performance numbers out of it. Uh, but then it all kind of broke down over, was it really 100% Swift Fuel or was it Swift Fuel from the lab blended partly with regular Avgas? Really? Uh, then there was the issue of you, are, you aren't producing enough volume for the testing that we would like to see. And it kind of got quiet from them. Yeah. And the last I heard from them is they were still busy trying to raise capital to continue the process. Yeah. But okay. they've shown that the fuel itself can meet the performance standards. So, yeah. you know, that's that's one box checked off. I don't know. Jeb, anything think, you want to add to The other thing, um, there was question about the um, renewability of the Swift fuel. Uh, yeah. Early on, as I recall, Swift fuel was being advertised as um, a green, totally renewable. Right. Um, but then the questions arose about that particular aspect of, of the Swift fuel concoction also. Um, I don't know how that's all been resolved. I mean, sure, we're, you know, I wish there was some device or, or <laughs> network that we could use to, to research this. Yeah, well. Um, but I don't know that we really care that much this morning. Not this morning, um, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, not this morning. Well, and um, I don't think that there's that much new out there about these guys right well, now. Well, that's the punchline. I don't think there is either. Yeah. Uh, if it were – we talked at the top of the segment about swift fueling and the gammy fuel. Um, I'm sure that some enterprising oil company will figure out that you know they can do this too, and they already have the distribution network, et cetera. So yeah, I, I would look for you know someone like um, um, I don't know Phillips or Shell or or uh, uh, Exxon or somebody like that to jump in and say look you know we can we can do this with this slight tweak of the formula. Um, flip side of which is um, there have been a number of, of recipes tested over the uh, last several years 
um, none of them are a drop-in replacement, uh, which is the, the holy grail here. Uh, what the, all that's going to mean, uh, only God knows. Uh, I, you know, I'm watching this fairly closely because I run an engine that requires Hunter low lead. And um, it's, while it's not as finicky as uh, some of the other engines being run out there as far as detonation is concerned, uh, it's definitely uh, um, you know, on, the, on the cusp. Depending on how that cusp breaks, um, there could be ramifications for me. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Okay. But we got we got several years. Okay. David, finish it up. And we well, we operated very happily as a as a community and and an industry when we had two and even three fuels available, and and gasoline fuels. I'm not counting Jet A here. And you know, we didn't have major safety issues arise out of the research I've done. Didn't show. You know, uh, a rash of refueling accidents because some guy put ninety octane in an airplane that needed a hundred. Uh, I'm sure that it happened occasionally, but it, I couldn't find any big numbers or, or stats that pointed to that being a problem. Uh, I don't understand why we're not looking at a two-step process here, because we've got all these airplanes, more than a third of the fleet, that can operate very happily on MoGas with the STC. Uh, there's even a standard for it. If you uh, check it out, it's, uh, what do they call it? There's an 85 UL. There's an 82 UL. Uh, we used to get 80 and 87 octane. Uh, that was for the low compression engines that can outburn car gas. So this, it's got to be one fuel for everybody. It doesn't make total sense to me it the only makes it only makes sense on a level of whatever is going to cost the, the the producers the least and not what's the best for the customers yeah and that's that's you know welcome to the you know my world that's you know a problem and, and this is going to be resolved uh down the road in a fashion that uh is the least impact on the producers and distributors as opposed to the least impact on uh, the operators yeah. And I think and, that's putting a prop on the back. Yep, that's yep. that's it's bass backwards, that's for sure. But you know, we're, we're seeing that so many times in, in so many other areas. Uh, you know, with the FAA's uh, desire to to soak EAA for five hundred grand to to run uh, Oshkosh this year. Same thing. It's, it's this is being done for the agency's convenience, not for the uh, not for the operators. Yeah, yeah. Please raise your right hand. I, Cedric Mortimer Flapdoodle, do solemnly swear. I, Cedric Mortimer Flapdoodle, do solemnly swear. That the members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are appearing as private individuals. Uh, that the, uh, the, the guys on this podcast are here because they want to be. And that their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations with which they work. And they're not speaking on behalf of their employers. And anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operations. when they talk about airplanes is obviously very, very general. general. It's very it's general. Don't get ahead of me, son. Sorry, sorry. You should always consider your situation, remember your training, and fly the aircraft. You should think about where you are, how you got there, and what to Congratulations. do. Congratulations. Hi, this is Jack. I have a personal favor to ask of you. I'm very proud to have been nominated for this year's Oshbash Aviation Podcaster of the Year Award. I've been nominated along with a couple of other great aviation podcasters. Plus, there are a bunch of other categories recognizing a variety of ways people have contributed to aviation on the Internet. 
The favor is to ask you to go to oshbash.com and vote. I hope you'll vote for me, but one way or the other, I urge you to show your support for your favorite nominees in each of the categories. That URL again is oshbash.com, O-S-H-B-A-S-H.com. Thanks. So did you see the story about uh, the Cirrus that uh, tried to pop its chute and it, it wouldn't go? Uh, so the, so a uh, Cirrus aircraft are somewhat famous, uh, uh, legendary for being uh, all equipped with these, uh, these uh, air, aircraft airframe uh, parachutes. And I'm trying to see in the story where this was. Addison, Texas, uh, Cirrus owner uh, tried to pop the chute and it didn't deploy. Fortunately, it didn't partially deploy, apparently. It just plain didn't deploy. And uh, they're trying to figure out why. I, I, that's the, the part of the story that really caught my attention is this, this pilot, this aircraft, found itself in a situation that was dramatic enough that he felt like he needed to pop the chute. Yet when the chute didn't deploy, he was still able to fly home and land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I mean, good for the guy. He managed to figure it out and saved his life, and that's good. But uh, it's kind of like, you know, you, I don't know. I, what do you think? Well, in the, uh, the uh, parachute system on, on the Cirri, yeah, is, is is a calendar limited item. Okay, it's got to be removed, inspected, right. repacked, and I believe the rocket replaced and the firing mechanism, the, which is basically a cable and a firing pin uh, that connects to the rocket uh, with the handle overhead and the cockpit. Uh, that all is supposed to be serviced at ten year intervals. Right. As a matter of fact, that's been in the news lately as well. I don't know if this aircraft. Is, is one of those, but they're talking about a lot of those first Cirrus with parachutes are now coming up for their 10 years, and right. uh, um, it's costing okay. people a lot of money to get these things serviced, apparently. A yeah, cu- couple of things real quick. Um, according to the, um, the AvWeb coverage, the aircraft in question was a 12-year-old aircraft. Uh, it, is, it was not known at the time of this, uh, this uh, AvWeb story whether that particular airplane's parachute had been repacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing to note here is looking at the NTSB's um, preliminary report on this event. Um, quote, the parachute pack did not deploy and remained in its compartment. The rocket was deployed and expended. Oh, well, that was an exciting moment. Yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm surprised that the rocket didn't da- do more damage to the airplane than whatever. And, and the, oh yeah, the next sentence in the in the report reads: the airplane received no damage. That's really okay. That's really you know yeah, uh, and it gets better. I'll, I'll read one yeah. more sentence here, and then I'll um, um, shut up. <laughs> Marginal flight rules conditions prevailed and and the flight was operating on an instrument rules flight plan oh okay for the flight um the flight returned to its departure airport and landed without further incident so that report that that preliminary whatever it is does not talk about what was motivating him to pop the chute no but the implication that you know your imagination can (laughs) jump to the idea that he was he felt like he was jammed up in imc and he couldn't I don't know. Maybe he thought he was. Maybe he thought he was in a spin or something, and he wasn't. I don't know. It's 
It did, was the rocket still in the airplane? No, he said the rocket the rocket deployed and didn't take the chute with it. The, oh, the it rocket, did deploy. The rocket deployed and expended. Now, if I if if I understand the Cirrus uh, airframe parachute system correctly, um, you've got a rocket um, that is you know tethered to the parachute that pulls the parachute pack out, and the rocket, you know, once when you pull that handle, the rocket uh, is is uh, triggered, and the rocket supposedly departs the aircraft with that tether attached to it. Mm-hmm. Um, in the process, once it once the tether is extended fully, the parachute then begins to deploy. That didn't happen, is what the NTSB is saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for some reason. Now maybe the tether broke. Maybe the the parachute pack was jammed up. The the uh, panel that uh, is removed uh, when the when the parachute pack uh, when when the tether extends and the the panel. Is removed that extends the uh, that allows the parachute to come out. That maybe that panel did not uh, break away or something. I don't know. I don't know. I am not an engineer for Cirrus. I don't know that much about the the parachute system. Something was askew, and I'm really curious as to how the rocket deployed, the parachute did not um, um, deploy, and the uh, airplane received no damage in the process. Yeah. Yeah, you'd, so. you'd think that having a, a a rocket wagging around out there on the end of the tether would would create some damage. Flip side of which is maybe the tether broke. Yeah, it's hard yeah, to say. That's that's because uh, the little thin plastic panel in the fuselage that uh, is painted over in the assembly process that beneath where the parachute mounts. Right. Uh, you know that's uh, that's not going to stop anything. No. Uh, so if it fired, boy, that's that's about two and a half seconds of real heat back there. Uh, but I agree with Jeb. Uh, something wasn't uh, functioning as it was designed to. Uh, the tether broke. Maybe maybe the new cap on the re- if it was a repack parachute. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it just wanted the day off, but <laughs> it points up uh, a reality here that uh, a lot of the old farts, you know, uh, chimed in about when airframe parachutes first came along. They're like, hey, there's no substitute for flying the airplane. Yeah, yeah. So, and in well, the end, this guy saved himself by flying the airplane. Yeah, yeah. Who'd have thunk it? I know. What a concept. Um, in the forums, let's see now, who was it in the forums that made this suggestion? Uh, listener Riga Runner um, in the forums uh, talks a little bit about tra- formation flight training. And uh, he wonders whether or not um, it's certainly very important for when you're going to actually do formation flight. Um, he's wondering whether or not it's kind of a skill that would be generally useful to a pilot. You know, go out and take some formation, just like you do acro, even if you're not planning to fly acro all the time, but because it makes you a better pilot, you know, for upsets and things like that. Um, um, would formation flight training help you make you better in everyday flying, you think? Silence. Don't everybody speak at once. I know. Huh? Well, Has either of you ever had, Dave? So, David, I know you've been involved in a fair amount of formation flight over the years. Have you ever actually flown formation? Yeah, uh, a, a handful of times. 
memorial services where a little club I belong to did a uh, uh, a flyover uh-huh. for the uh, funeral. Uh, and uh, a, on a couple of occasions, just, you know, uh, a half a dozen of us uh, breaking up into groups of threes and flying formation to Ponca City for breakfast just for the practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, my personal opinion, anything that you can add to your uh, flight capabilities roster uh, is, is, is good for your flying skills. Uh, you know, whether that's formation, whether that's acro, uh, human beings seem to function at their best uh, long term when they are taking on and, and getting a handle on new challenges. Mm-hmm when they're expanding their brains a little bit. And formation flying will definitely expand both your brain mentally and your brain hand-eye skills right. uh, all so, at the same time. That's what I was going to ask. What, what, what sort of skills will formation training give you that would be more general purpose? Precision. Uh-huh. Uh, precision in the control of the throttle uh, precision in your turns. Uh, if you know the, the the guy with the easy job in formation flying is the guy out front because everybody has to form up on him, mm-hmm. uh, and then he has to do his job by keeping everybody informed on any changes in direction he plans to 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 make, and keys everybody in on which direction and gives them a count to when he's going to start that. Right. Uh, well, there's some tricks uh, and some skills that you pick up when you learn to fly formation that involve aligning yourself on the lead aircraft or on the aircraft that you're flying wing off of, uh, and then how you control that positioning. And it is very much more a throttle uh, management uh, flying job than it is a stick management job because you try really hard to keep your pitch and your roll attitudes constant for whatever maneuver and adjust up and down and forward and backward with small changes in throttle. Mm -hmm. If you start making pitch movements to do that, uh, then you're going to look like the the clown cart on the roller coaster at a kiddie's amusement park. You're going to be going up and down and left and right and scaring the crap out of everybody around you, and nobody want to want to be you know within a nautical mile of you. Yeah. Uh, so it's 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 definitely a learned skill. Uh, and guys, I, I know you've heard this. Maybe the listeners haven't. I've also flown photo platform uh, with people who, to be kind, may have slightly overstated their <laughs> yes. formation flying skills yeah. and caused me to make a new decision midair. Like, okay, we're not going to fly formation anymore. Now I want you to just fly big circles around you, around me and give me a second because I'm going to put on a telephoto because I don't want you close to me anymore. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, uh... okay, you you got to be smart enough to know when to stop trying to force good out of somebody that's not yeah i've been a passenger in a formation situation twice um once with each of you as a matter of fact uh, when we got these uh, those aeroshell uh, honda rides at uh, at sun and fun and and uh, just it's a sobering moment to see these airplanes another airplane that close to you um 
you know, <laughs> particularly in the middle of a loop. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was that was one of the big emotions I had. So uh, this is the this past spring when when Dave and I got got a chance to ride with him again, and uh, you know, and I so I the first time this happened a few years back, it really took me by surprise. I was ready for it this time. Um, so when we did the takeoff in formation, you know, it kind of wasn't as 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 weird as as it was the first time. But this time, I happened to I don't know whether I just didn't look in the right direction the first time, but this time when we started the loop. And I was in the uh, air, the slot airplane. I was in the, the the rear center airplane, and so I looked ahead. And maybe that's the difference because I was in one of the one of the uh, the left or right airplanes the first time. Because in, when you're when you're in the slot airplane, you look forward and you're seeing the tail of the other airplane right there in front of you. All right, and plus I think they were much closer the second time than they were the first time when we did this, and and so we're starting this loop, and we're starting we're almost to the vertical on this loop, and I'm looking forward at the tail of this airplane, and I'm just thinking, you know, how, I, I mean, it's like so many things going on. I, I, I how do you stay coordinated to this airplane while you're in an unusual attitude, and it's just wow, it takes a lot of skill. Clearly, the Aeroshell Honda guys um, do it in a, in a real extreme, you know, much more extreme manner than than for example. The the bonanzas to Oshkosh people do, but uh, um, oh, oh yeah, I'm pretty sure the bonanzas to Oshkosh guys keep it down to the simple basics of heading and turning. Yeah, and they don't get nearly as tight. Um, that they, they uh, but they do require training. Um, all of those oh, yeah, uh, all of those group arrivals that arrive, you know, typically in in in, in loose groups of three. Um, they have to go through training before they're allowed to participate in that program and uh, get some sort of, um, I'm not sure if it's a very very official, but it's a very important certification. Those groups won't let them invo- be involved unless they've passed the training. So, well, it's, uh, it, it's cost me opportunities to make money shooting airplanes when the person approaching uh, wanted to tell me that, oh, yeah, I've done a little formation flying. I'll fly the platform, no problem. Or I'll fly the beauty airplane. And, and it's like, yeah, when was the last time you did that? Oh, two or three years ago, uh, I, I did the Cessna Dodge thing. No, I'm sorry. That ain't enough. Yeah. Uh, you Let me bring you a formation pilot that I know, a guy that actually has a card from the commemorative Air Force or some other organization that says that he's flown formation, he's been through a clinic this year, and has logged time this year. And, yeah, we'll go do that. Uh, and the guy will fly for free because he just likes doing the flying. But you in the left, it will even keep you in the left seat. But he's going to be flying. Yeah, yep. Because if he's not flying, I'm not shooting. Yeah. Jeb, uh, we've been monopolizing the conversation here. No, what, do you, uh, what do you want uh, to add to this? I don't have a whole lot to add to that. The uh, Bonanza to Oshkosh group uh, um, does a lot of practice. There is, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I, don't want, I wouldn't want to say certification, but certainly uh, 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 approval of uh, one's skills and one's training to do this. Uh, I'm sure the, the Cessna and Piper and Mooney uh, groups uh, have something very, very similar yeah. Set up some of which are even modeled on the Bonanza Tosh Kosh effort. Yeah, I think so. Uh, each year, um, um, there are two or three formation clinics conducted at airports around the country where um, people who are, are approved to participate in this uh, this group arrival uh, either practice or uh, uh, hone their skills 
and other people who have never done this before come in to get approvals. And again, I'm sure that the other marks uh, do similar uh, activities. I've never, you know, done any formal formation flying. Um, would certainly look forward to it. I'm, I, the one thing I know for certain is it takes a very, very fine touch on the controls. And Dave makes a great point that uh, you use power and not stick to, mm-hmm. to do this in, in a lot of um, in a lot of situations. And that's something in and of itself that would be a little foreign to me. Yeah. Are there other than these organizations that do like the group arrivals and the commemorative Air Force? Are are there are there places where you can go to get formation training? Sure. It, sure. Um, you just go to your CFI or, or are there- no, no, you're probably going to need to go to a specialized, uh, operator, uh, maybe one of the mock combat, uh, operators, mm-hmm. um, or, um, maybe, uh, the national test pilot school out at Mojave, uh, places like that. It's not something you're going to find at your standard, uh, um, um, you know, Podunk regional, uh, FBO. Mm-hmm. You're not going to find that training if, if for no other reason than, no one at that FBO is qualified to, to provide that training. Right, right. But I'm sure if you but, ask around yeah. your FBO, they can get a starting point of, of yeah, trying possibly. to find something in your area. Uh, I think a lot of a lot of FBOs, are, the question is going to be, A, why would you want to do that? And B, not in our airplanes. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, yeah. It, Jeb makes a good point there, too. Uh, you know, what... Not many CFIs get called on to provide this kind of training. Uh, same for ACRO. Uh, if you want to shop for somebody that can give you some formation training, I would start by looking for a flight instructor that already does ACRO. Oh, okay. That's an interesting idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because there's some possibility that he may have done some of this uh, in concert with other people that fly ACRO. Uh, but that's not a slam dunk by any means. Uh, check with your local commemorative Air Force hangar. They may have some some uh, people uh, in their membership. Check with your local EAA chapter. They may have some folks that also have uh, trained and, and do this. Uh, but if you're going to have to rent an airplane to do this, uh, like Jeb said, they, 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 the, the rental people may not smile on that idea. Uh, and my last thought on it is that uh, you, you want to be sure that you're insured well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, two two other final thoughts. One is if you if you can seek out someone with some military flight training, mm-hmm. uh, because they typically have the best formation flight training in the world. Um, <clears throat> the second thing is. Um, before you even, in, you know, I'm sure the people listening to my voice are going to try this at some point. Um, I guess the first question, the first answer would be, don't. Uh, the second answer is, <laughs> be sh- and, and Dave did a very good article for Aviation Safety a few years back uh, on this topic. And, and one of the reasons he did it was there was a midair uh, involving Dave, I think it was two shorts or something like that. It was... Uh, it was up in Illinois or, or, or Michigan or Wisconsin, uh, uh, Minnesota, somewhere like that, where um, these two company uh, airplanes needed to go from A to B, or maybe they were doing a photo shoot or something like that. And um, they traded pain and both of them crashed. Um, at least one of them was, was all souls on board died. I don't know the, the outcome, and I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to use this uh, new toy I have called the Internet to go find 
Um, but this can be, you know, anytime you're flying in, in uh, close proximity to another airplane, there is greater risk. And if you're going to do this, do it right. Sit down with the, uh, find somebody who's done it before, first of all. But barring that, if you're just going to try to get up close and personal, sit down with somebody and, and figure out, you know, how to do this and, and work through some of the, uh, uh, the basics here. For example, the lead airplane uh, doesn't move. It's, the, you know, the trailing airplane is the one that, that uh, moves and, and, and positions itself. You've got to have, um, you know, some some knock it off uh, words agreed upon. You've got to agree that, you know, one airplane's gonna when you break, one airplane's gonna break left, the other airplane's gonna break right, things like that uh, that you really need to sit down and and, uh, and iron out before you even get close uh, to pulling the keys out and turning the ignition. Yeah, it can be done. It can be done safely. It's a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will really, really wear your ass out yeah you know our pal uh, uh steve tupper uh of the uh, airspeed podcast and and acrocamp has gotten involved over the last year and a half or so um as a, as a pilot for a demonstration team for a museum and flies motor gliders in formation all the time he's posting pictures and videos all the time of his experience there and and, and writing about his experiences um it's it's all pretty interesting and he seems to be having a blast with it um it, it uh it, uh, it it scratches Steve's itch in many, many different ways, but uh, the formation part is certainly one of them. And uh, check out the Airspeed uh, uh, online uh, blog for more of his stories about that. Uh, well, and Riga, Riga Runner, I think, sums it up pretty nicely in the next to the last paragraph in his posting. He said, let me admit, an hour of close formation is physically and mentally draining, and he returned to the field wrung out. But it's also exhilarating, and there's nothing like a formation landing. And he got his instruction at uh, one of my favorite old airports, uh, uh, Leesburg, Virginia, and uh, in a pair of uh, uh, matched diamond DA-40s uh, from an uh, outfit that specifically offers formation instructions. So there are you know, outfits out there that do that. Uh, with the equipment and the instructors uh, that make it work, uh, you know, learning new things is good. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we need to move along here. A um, couple of stories here Jeb put on the list about from the FAA. Uh, the first one, uh, the headline is FAA Administrator, Administrator Huerta uh, calls for more action on GA safety. Jeb, what's this all about? Is there something happened or is this just the annual you know, the administrator says we need to be careful. Story. It's a little bit of both. Um, the NTSB uh, basically is a, is the source of this. They've become more active uh, in recent months, maybe over the last year or so. Um, most interestingly, back in March, I believe it was, uh, uh, the safety board uh, released a series of five safety alerts. A safety alert in the NTSB nomenclature is a... Uh, Oh, a fact sheet, a a, um, a white paper, um, something like that, that um, explores a a predominant, in this case, a predominant uh, GA accident cause. And uh, the NTSB, as I say, published five of them on the same day. They also said that they're going to come out with some videos to uh, help explain some of this to GA pilots. Those videos haven't hit the street yet. Um the NTSB also made some recommendations uh, to FAA in the process, and I think a lot of this, a lot of Huerta's uh, statement here, 
is a response to that initiative by the NTSB. Um, we're going to see more of that coming from uh, the the, uh, the FAA and from the NTSB here in the next uh, uh, several months, uh, not least of which would be in, in uh, conjunction with Oshkosh and, and uh, other some other events. Yeah. But um, there are, um, and, and I, I was just working on this as part of the uh, uh, recent issue of, of Aviation Safety, um, one of the um, uh, board members, uh, Dr. Weiner, um, who's been in the board, I guess, a couple of years now, is an active uh, GA pilot uh, and uh, makes the point that while the overall uh, general aviation fatal accident rate has remained relatively flat over the last 10 years or so, that the accident rate for personal uh, and, and, and of course, the FAA and the NTSB break down the type of operation into training, into personal transportation, business mm-hmm. transportation, corporate, aerial application, you know, all these different reasons for we might have for a flight. But uh, Dr. Weiner makes the point, uh, and I haven't looked at the data, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that the data is correct, uh, his data is correct, that, that uh, the personal, <clears throat> the, the, uh, the statistics involving fatalities aboard uh, personally flown aircraft, those being operated for recreation or personal transportation, are up over time as opposed to being flat or down uh, with the other segments. So that's certainly a concern. And uh, um, Huerta and the NTSB both are, are, are taking steps to try to um, fix this problem, at least raise awareness of it among the community. Yeah, David, anything you want to add to that? No, I think Jeb pretty much uh, covered the waterfront on that. Okay. Uh, but uh, one thing that he that he said, I think needs uh, or, or bears repeating: we're going to see more of this, not less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The other FAA right. story here is uh, uh, Jeb. You also put this one on. Uh, the headline is: Does the FAA care about GA? Apparently, this is from a blog post. What's this all about? This is, this is from uh, one of Flying Magazine's uh, contributors, uh, Stephen Pope, on uh, Flying Magazine's blog. Um, and uh, basically has a, a couple hundred words here um, raising the question of, does the FAA care about the little guy, is the, is the head on the uh, article. And uh, I don't know, this kind of struck me as a little naive. Uh, I think the quick answer is, of course the FAA doesn't care about the little guy. Next question. <laughs> okay. Cynical much? No, uh, just no. Uh, um, experienced, experienced, and, and realistic. Okay, pra- and pragmatic. Uh, David, I, I know. I, I, I've known Steve slightly, uh, and he is at that point in his uh, age aging cycle where <laughs> that slight naivete is t- to be forgiven and expected. Uh, no, hell no. We have to fight tooth and nail for our place in this. And it's gotten worse over the last eight or ten years because there's been a propensity uh, for the FAA to hire uh, people into important executive positions who have nothing but airline background, if any background at all, in aviation. Uh, So we have increasingly seen management at 800 Independence that may have never been in a little airplane, don't understand little airplanes. Some of them look at little airplanes as competition for their old businesses. Uh, And to a certain extent, they're correct. Uh, 
and every time GA loses a little slice of the pie to the commercial industry, we never get it back. You compromised in the name of moving something forward. Uh, kiss whatever you gave away goodbye because it's not going to come back, not even with a fight. So what uh, should we do? Uh, I think we need to elect smarter people to Congress for one thing uh, so that they will kind of put a, a, an iron to the feet of the folks that make – hiring decisions at FAA, that there needs to be some balance there. Uh, we need to not stop challenging the FAA to give us our due because there's a hell of a lot more of us uh, than there are of them in terms of airplane owners, in terms of airplane users. Uh, now, yeah, the commercial guys carry you know, hundreds of millions of passengers annually, and very few of them have any idea how the system works most of us who fly ga have a great idea how the system works and can see firsthand when ga is being asked to take a disproportionate share of the burden uh and Stephen points out very succinctly i think the 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 canary in the coal mine was the contract towers closing decision from a couple of months ago where the unilateral decision by the agency was to close some towers that have six figures in GA traffic every year, but little to no commercial traffic. So obviously it can't be important for there to be a tower there. There's no commercial flights, right? Yeah. I'm sorry, Blarney Stone. Okay. Uh, the, uh, the fact is that GA is more important to more communities on more levels then whatever air carrier happens to fly into the decreasing number of commercial service airports. Right? There are fewer seats being flown by fewer carriers right now than in years. There are fewer cities being served by commercial carriers than in decades. And GA is what picks up the slack for a lot of the communities that don't have commercial service anymore. Uh, you know, we 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 don't do a good job of talking to the outside world. We do a great job of pissing and moaning to each other. Okay. Jeb, anything to add? I, I can't add anything to that. Um, uh, a great rant. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, a friend of mine had a family emergency a couple of three weeks ago. Uh, I ended up uh, hopping in the airplane and uh, uh, flying this friend uh, about an hour north of here and uh, waiting around to see uh, whether or not this little family uh, emergency would get resolved. I cooled my heels at the FBO for you know a couple hours. Um, turns out that uh, the friend needed to stay overnight. Uh, actually turned into basically a week. So I turned around and, and came back home. Um, the friend later decided, okay, it's, it's time to get back, uh, and uh, sat down on the phone and was trying to figure out what the, the cheapest airline fares were going to be. And this was on Orbitz or, or, or uh, Kayak or whatever it was. And uh, come, came to find out that given the, the city uh, in which the friend was located and where the friend needed to go, 
the uh, the airfares were around two hundred dollars to start. Some of them were overnight airfares, like from point A to point C, then back to point B, where the friend really needed to go. Mm-hmm. And in the end, the friend got off for like thirty bucks, renting a one way car. Yeah. Okay. And that's a little bit of a head scratcher. Here we are in the year two, 2013, and our air transportation system is so foobarred that a person can't get from one end of the state of Florida to the other end uh, in the same day. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, um, on, on, but via commercial transportation. Now, yeah, there are buses. Um, no. no. Um, yeah. You know, things like that. So... There's a real, I, I don't know, I, I maybe call it an underground economy or an underground transportation system that is general aviation that, um, you know, if I were king, it would be promoted, not beaten down and, and hit under a bushel. Yep. Uh, and it's, it's just getting a little old. The FAA is doing what the FAA does. Okay, the, the the vast majority of its funding, the vast majority of its programs, the vast majority of um, its influence, the vast majority of those who seek to influence the FAA are aligned in, and or involved with the airline industry. Wake up, smell that coffee. That's nothing new. Um, when it comes to the general aviation constituent, there is... How can I put this without? Uh, well, I want to step on a few toes. Um, the the voices that um, sing the the well the voices that tell the GA story have not been very effective of late. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Boy, that that's boy you that that was a soft shoe on those toes. <laughs> okay, we got to move on here. We here at the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. Thank you. EAA's published their movie list for this summer. So uh, EAA has uh, at, at AirVenture has the uh, big uh, outdoor movie screen every, uh, every year. And uh, they've published the list of movies that they're going to run this year. I haven't actually let's look at it together here. Uh, and, and apparently, it's somewhat controversial. I don't know. Have you guys looked at the list? I don't know. That yeah. It's, it's yeah. controversial. So what do we got here? On Sunday, they're playing Octopussy. <laughs> he said Octopussy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's some interesting flying in that one. Too. No, there is. Is that the one where he flies the 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 uh, BD five through, the, yeah, through the hangar? Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Okay. Off, yeah. That's, that's probably and that's, that's pro- the only reason. That, exactly. That, yeah. yeah, you stay for the first ten minutes of the of the movie and then you can leave. Yeah, so. exactly. So uh, uh, next is uh, uh, one of my favorites, Iron Man two. Uh, not the best of the Iron Man movies, but no. a good. But a good. All three of them are good. So We've Iron got Man got some 2. great flying scenes in that. Uh, yeah, of a sort. Um, yes. <laughs> Tuesday. Ooh, look at this. They're teasing us here on Tuesday. They just say special presentation to be announced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you want to bet? They're trying to confirm Harrison Ford to be there that night for some yeah, reason. For yeah. Or, all right. Uh, so they're waiting on that one. Yeah, Wednesday probably. night, uh, Skyfall, uh, maybe the best James Bond movie. Well, certainly since, since the days of Sean Connery, yeah, um, 
a, a great, great but, movie. Wow. Outstanding movie. And I've yeah. seen the movie, but I don't recall the aviation. Look. Yeah, let me think about this for a second. The flying in Skyfall. Uh, I can't picture it either. Um, so I don't know. There's some aerial shots, but <laughs> yeah, I don't really remember much flying in this. Yeah, there was in the prior one. Thursday uh, is uh, Thursday is the Avengers. Uh, the the recent the, this is the recent uh, uh, movie uh, Avengers, uh, another Iron right, Man not movie. Not the British TV show, right? Not the not the British TV show Avengers, uh, uh, which had among others Iron Man in it. Um, uh, another great movie of the Avengers was um, is. And uh, Friday, they're going to do some sort of premiere of the new Disney movie, Planes, which I want to come back be, to in a second. Yeah, here. that will be cool. Yeah. And, uh, and then on Saturday, the, the, you know, I mean, some are, will argue one of the be- best flying movies ever, The Magnificent Men and Their Flying Machines, on uh, Saturday evening. So uh, uh, those are the movies. Uh, any of those jump out at you here? Well, the last one uh, is just such a hoot, uh, seeing all the the antique hardware and and uh period machinery right uh, some of which actually flew yeah well that's yeah. that's from back in the days when they couldn't do all this computer graphic stuff they had to actually have either real airplanes or or cool optical special effects yeah. and uh, I, as i understand it a lot of those were genuine you know recreations of these uh these really early day uh, flying machines oh yeah and uh they they uh they work really hard at that, and they, they, they had almost as much of a challenge finding people qualified to fly some of those machines exactly. as finding the machines themselves. Yeah, yeah. 1965. I know, yeah. huh? Yeah. I was, <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a Dave is really old joke in there someplace, but I can't quite come up with it. <laughs> um, let's see now. Uh, and it could be equally be a, a Jeb or a Jack is really old joke, too, I should confess. Yeah, um, I Disney's planes. Let's talk about this for a second. This movie scares me. I, I, I just I worry that this movie this movie is going to I don't know what's the right word demean or diminish aviation. That it's going to be so oversimplified and so cliched and so it's just I don't know. You know I, I get why they're you know they're doing this co brand co promotion. I think thing. you're you're overthinking it. You, you think the, so? I hope yeah. so. I hope I mean, so. how much damage did the movie Cars and Cars 2 do to the automobile industry for its depiction of NASCAR? Yeah, but the but None. the the but the car industry is is, about is NASCAR is, though, man. I know the car the car industry is much more much stronger, much less prone to damage. Um, you know, I mean, you mentioned this. You said you talked about this just a minute ago about how we're doing a bad job of promoting ourselves and explaining ourselves. And if we get this movie that trivializes aviation, that kind of makes it look f- silly, I worry about this. Now, maybe it'll be a great depiction of aviation. It's, it's, it's a cartoon. Uh, it, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a totally cartoon right, that's going to yeah. form kids' ideas about you're, flying. You're you're you're, you're over intellectualizing. All it. right. Okay. Well. I don't know where the where the you know the real answer here is. A lot of people, and I haven't even looked at the trailer. Uh, people who have looked at the trailer say, you know, this is going to be great for aviation, et cetera, et cetera, for general aviation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't trust Disney, so you know, uh, I'm, I'm kind of staying out of this. I probably, I, I certainly won't go to the theater to see this. I might watch it, you know, down the road on on um, streaming or, or something like that. I don't know. Well, you know, let's get together Friday night. We'll do a we'll do a UCAP daily from the screening, and, and we can report from there. We probably won't, but we could. Probably not. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. 
but the rest of these, um, other than those two, um, I, huh? What? Yeah, I know. They're not. It's not really a strong flying. Um, no, it seems slate. more attuned to to getting uh, family participation, and yeah. that's fine. Yeah, no, it's, it's no going to make with that. It's going to make there's a, really, there's a lot of flying in the Iron Man stuff. It's just not in an airplane, right? You know, and it's a fun. Yeah. It's it's going to be a f- make for fun evenings over there at the uh, at the theater, uh, which is already pretty fun. But uh, you know. And so, okay, it's a different kind of thing. They're all a little technologically oriented. You know, in a way, in a way, Tony Stark is the ultimate home builder when you stop and think about exactly. it. Exactly. Okay? So, Tony Stark being Iron Man, of course, you know, and so, uh, you know, and so... He Tony told, Stark being Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, right. And, and Gwyneth Paltrow is, is easy on the eyes. There so. you go. There you go. So... Uh, I, I, I can't even remember what the cartoon image of Pepper Potts looked like. Yeah, well, we're, it's all it's now when I think Pepper Potts, it's Gwyneth Paltrow. So. Yeah. Uh, on a, on a right. much more negative note regarding Air Venture, um, that we're 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 going through. We went through this back in the spring with Sun and Fun, where the FAA decided not to pay for the controllers, and and uh, Sun and Fun had to scare up some money, and now we're going through this whole thrash again in a, in a much bigger way for Air Venture, and. Uh, has there been any progress on this? Is is uh, is is it's, is EAA still on the hook for this money? A half well, a million dollars, they're saying. Right now, um, the uh, action resides at the FAA. Late last week, um, uh, EAA was uh, successful in getting um, twenty-seven senators to sign a joint letter to the FAA opposing um, the FAA's proposal to start uh, charging EAA for air traffic services at Oshkosh. Um, the letter asked the FAA to respond by June 13, which is tomorrow. So by the time this hits the streets, um, we will know whether or not the FAA has, in fact, um, agreed or com- complied with that request to respond by June 13, okay. and what that response is. Well, maybe we shouldn't go too deeply into it then. Well, I, I didn't realize that tomorrow was the deadline. Well, t- tomorrow is a deadline. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <Right. laughs> tomorrow <laughs> tomorrow right. is a deadline established by 27 senators who sent a, a, a strongly worded letter to the FAA. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Yep. The FAA... Um, may or may not respond to this strongly worded letter. It may or may not respond by June 13. may or may not respond in any fashion usable by anybody. Okay. So, yeah, we need to talk about this uh, on a couple of levels. One is, um, one one point to keep in mind is that when Sun and Fun was gigged for for some amount of money, and and we've been, you know, I don't think we've ever really learned the exact amount. A lot of people say it's around a quarter of a million dollars, uh, and a lot of people say that a lot of the uh, local businesses in and around Lakeland um, put up some of this, or maybe half of this amount, um, and and to reimburse the FAA for its expenses. The other thing to keep in mind here is that Sun and Fun occurred while the sequestration was still in effect, A. B, that um, since that time, Congress has, has passed a law, one of the few it's passed so far this year, um, exempting the agency, exempting the FAA and the FAA alone from the sequestration uh, budgeting process. Um, in and of itself, that would argue, and this was something that was certainly interwoven into this, this 27 senator letter, in and of itself, that would seem to exempt the agency from needing to recoup its costs. It's n- not at all clear to me um, 
why the FAA is doing this, except um, they want to be a dick uh, in some fashion, and they somehow think that this is um, the um, uh, way to proceed. Um, a lot of people have pointed out to them, myself included, have pointed to this as a um, a backdoor way to to institute user fees on some level. Um, a lot, uh, other people have, have pointed out that other shows um, uh, perhaps might be on the hook for similar uh, reimbursement charges um, should uh, this effort succeed. NBA comes to mind, uh, which is, is kerosene intensive and a lot of IFR being conducted and things like this. Um, Copper State, I think, would be on the hook. Um, I don't know what how, how this is going to fall out. Um, Two, two other things. One, it's clear that Oshkosh, as we know it, uh, could not occur without FAA's active participation and especially the granting of various waivers from um, uh, separation uh, standards that uh, are employed at towered airports. Uh, and the, the um, granting of those waivers by the FAA is, is certainly something that... Um, the FAA can hold over over EAA and, and uh, people who participate in Oshkosh. How this is all going to resolve itself uh, is is not known at this point. Um, whether it will resolve itself is not known at this yeah. point. I, it seems to me that it would be in order for people who care about this to contact their elected representatives and let them know that they support, well, whatever it is they support. I personally support FAA paying the bill. but uh, as As they have done in the past... And as nothing has changed, yeah, legally, uh, structurally, nothing has changed uh, between this year and last year, or, or the previous years for that matter, relative to a the costs involved, um, b the um, the funding sources. Right. What is driving this? And uh, uh, I had a lengthy conversation uh, yesterday with someone at EAA on this topic, and. And uh, both agreed that basically there was something going on here that you know no one really knew. It. Had it, we the two of us didn't have a really good handle on. Uh, I don't know what that is. I can speculate, but it you know that that fifty cents gets you a cup of coffee. Yeah. David, you want to wrap this up? Yep, yep, I, I, I do. Uh, about a month ago, Congress, in a stunningly rare moment of uh, bipartisanship passed the Reducing Flight Delays Act of 2013. <laughs> okay? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm laughing. Yeah, he's not, they, he's they, not they making this up. I know he's not. They, they, they did this the day before. Most of them were going home to their districts, and they didn't want their Friday flights delayed by the preordained furloughs and tower closings that the FAA had announced they were going to do under the sequestration uh, because the sequestration basically hamstrings all the agencies into across-the-board cuts of a certain amount of money out of their operating budget. This didn't exempt the FAA from sequestration. What it gave the FAA was the latitude to take money from a place it was not allowed to take money from to pay for operations, and that was the Airport Improvement Program. 
the airport and airways trust fund we pay ticket taxes on uh, is not supposed to go to operations. It's not supposed to go to paper clips and salaries and stationery. It's hang, supposed to go to airport improvements. That day, hang on a second. That that ship sailed a few years back where, uh, and it has been a routine of the FAA's budget since then, that some portion of the monies flowing into the uh, trust fund from airline ticket taxes and avgas fuel taxes does, in fact, go to the FAA's operations. Oh, I knew that they always appropriated money from the general fund for operations that AIP didn't pay for. Uh, but this basically opened up the door to them moving around money however right. they want to. Right. Uh, as opposed to Congress deciding how much of the AIP money would be shifted over to operations. But, you know, that's long been the argument. Uh, I'm afraid that we're going to see the community buy into this solution, quote-unquote, yet again with Oshkosh. Right. Okay, uh, take more AIP money. We're cool with that. No, we're not. No, we're not cool with that. We're not cool with that. These services have been budgeted. They're in the budget. They're paid for. Uh, The sequestration has a lot of places that money can be shaved for other things, but this is not one of them. And creating a new user fee system out of whole cloth without congressional approval, uh, I think they need to be sued. I really do. I think they need to be sued back into reality. But uh, what we'll wind up with is some compromised political solution that leaves us ticked off that they're taking money from places that they shouldn't be and lets the FAA inch its way toward the precedent of card charging user fees, and they've already made that step one at, right. Osh, at Sun and Fun. Right. I, it, I, I agree with you on all those points. Yeah. So contact your elected representative. Um, we think you should tell them that they ought to pay for the Oshkosh Tower the way they've always paid for it. Yeah. yeah. David, screw, cool. Screw them till they bleed, nuke them till they glow. You <laughs> had <laughs> another possible title. Um David, uh, so you've called our attention to a uh, an interesting airplane here. This champ with a note. This is this just disturbs me. I'm sorry. I don't like these. <laughs> I don't like these modifications. I've never. It's not a mod. It's not a mod. This factory. is. A, I'm sorry. This is a factory nose wheel champ. I never heard of such a thing. Really? That's why it's on the list. <laughs> I. Uh, well, still, I don't like it. I. I <laughs> you know. And by the way, I don't like it. I don't. I, I don't like when you go either way. Okay, I don't like tri pacers. I know people who. I'm, I know some listeners are going to yell at me for this because I know people love their tri pacers. But I think a tri pacer is a silly, you know, thing to, to make a, what's fundamentally a tail, tailwheel airplane into a nose wheel airplane. And going the other way, I don't like Texas tail draggers. I don't like blame these, it all on well, Cessna. I don't if like Cessna these, had not invented the one fifty and the one seventy two. Yeah. Piper would have never invented the trap pacer. Well, I guess that, there's that, but let's 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 backtrack a little bit here. Where did the 150? I'm sorry. Where did the 150? Where did the 172? And where did the 182 come from? They came from tail dragger versions of similar aircraft. Ding yeah. ding ding! Give that one, man a cup of coffee. The 150 came from the 140. The 172 came from the 170, which is a tail dragger. And the 182 came from the 180. Which is a tail dragger. Which is a tail dragger. So 
the the idea that we shouldn't be putting nose wheels on on uh, conventional <coughs> excuse me formerly conventional gear aircraft uh, that ship has sailed also yeah. uh, it's the execution that counts um, the the one seventy the one fifty one seventy two one eighty two execution is perhaps arguably far better than the uh, uh, the tri gear champ or the uh, um, uh, tri pacer um, evolution just aesthetically the flip side of which is tri pacer is still a pretty darn good airplane is it really and, I, I, and it will fly rings around a one seventy two yeah okay yeah they're equal. much faster on less horsepower <laughs> yeah. Really, I, I I just think I, I have no I have no no knowledge of the of their flight characteristics. I just think it looks silly. It's I don't a like flying them. milk stool. Yeah, right. It's just, well now that was the Colt, right? That was the trapacer with the back seats taken out of it and shortened up proportionally. Uh, and I got to admit, uh, the milk stool is a, an, an odd looking little duck. Uh, it just I don't know. It never looks right without a cow around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Anyway, so. Um, but hey, this was a a uh, airworthy, nicely equipped champ with a nose wheel. So you know, for for that champ fan that always was uncomfortable with the idea of adding a tailwheel rating, and then having to fly tailwheel to fly a champ. Here's your chance. Yeah, but yep. it, it, oh, okay, all right. I just it's a it's a tailwheel airplane. I oh, so I'm sorry, I'm babbling here. I'm just hey, there's nothing new about that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was that was Higdon. H I G. Uh, <laughs> anyways, this was a 1957 Champ Seven Foxtrot Charlie Tri Champ. It's for sale for thirty two thousand dollars. I'm not buying it. I don't know. Um, so. Uh, Anyways, hey, we truly are reaching the end of our allotted time here. We need to move along here. Uh, Shout-outs. Anybody got anything here? One that I'd like to get out of my system simply because I've been holding it for so long, if I can find the I plug. hate it when that happens. I know, I know. Go ahead, David. I, I don't know how many people uh, out there actually still embrace these, uh, these devices that have p- pages of printed paper sandwiched between heavy cardboard covers. But I know there's still a market for it. Because I remember those, yeah. yeah. The Smithsonian just published a new book called Aircraft, The Definitive Visual History, which I was lucky enough to get my hands on and have spent uh, a pretty regular time the last few weeks just kind of pick it up and stick my finger in someplace and open it up. It is an amazing collection of aircraft photographs from Smithsonian's photography staff and their collection and some from outside uh, there were airplanes there are airplanes in this that I didn't know exist uh, that I looked at and went and that actually flew uh, so if you're into coffee table books if you like airplane books or if you got somebody, well, this is too late for Father's Day. If you got somebody that you like, uh, that you know likes that kind of stuff, uh, the Smithsonian's aircraft, the definitive visual history. Uh, it ain't cheap. Uh, it was a gift for, for me for somebody that knows that I like this kind of stuff, uh, and I was prepared to be bored and yawn and say, "Oh yeah, I've seen all this before," and I hadn't. Uh, remarkable piece of work and my hat's off to Smithsonian for the effort that it took to produce it. Nice. I'll track it down and look at it. Yeah. J 
Jeb, shout-outs? Yeah, r- real quickly, two of them. Uh, one person who needs no introduction, that's uh, uh, Chesley Sullenberger, uh, Sully, the captain of the um, um, uh, flight that ditched on the Potomac. He's quoted... Uh, Hudson. Uh, uh, H- excuse me, Hudson. Yep. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I knew yeah, if he tried to ditch in the Potomac, they would have shot him down. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, he was quoted by CBS Morning News uh, a week or so ago in reaction to uh, a proposal uh, uh, to um, uh, ratchet down the number of pilots in the cockpit from, from two to one, uh, or nominally from two to one, um, as calling, it, calling the idea ludicrous. And uh, I just laughed out loud when I saw that. That's exactly the reaction that should be that we should have uh the concept is just it, it's just too stupid for words and and hats off to someone who who doesn't need my hat lifted uh for for saying what uh, the real deal is and and just just thank you Ch- uh, Sully um the other one real quickly here also is uh, of Tommy Fitz uh Mr Fitz is no longer with us um but on uh, around 3 a.m. On September 30, 1956, Mr. Fitzpatrick, who then was 26 years old, uh, basically stole an airplane from Teterboro and landed it in the middle of Manhattan uh, next to the bar where he had been drinking earlier to win a bet. <laughs> now, now, we don't condone uh, <laughs> no. any of this. Okay, We don't condone stealing airplanes. We don't condone landing in Manhattan uh, on a bet. And we don't condone... Uh, drinking uh, while or flying while drinking or, or being drunk or anything like that, but he got away with it. Um, he got a little slap on the wrist from the local constabulary, and then the guy did it again. <laughs> when two <laughs> years later, no kidding, did it? He did it again. Different again. Took another plane from from Teterboro. Uh, this time landed on on a different street, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, quote from the story here. This is from uh, New York Times uh, a blog. Says quote from the story. Uh, it was that uh, uh, Mr. Fitzpatrick told the police that he had pulled off the second flight after a bar patron refused to believe he had done the first. One. <laughs> okay. okay. See, we're so, coming real close to glorifying. It's like, no, don't yeah. try this at home. You, do not the, try kids, this. At do home. not try this at home. There's a bunch of stuff in here about. Uh, uh, the man's lie. He died in in you know nine uh, about witnesses and, and all this kind of thing. But um, yeah, okay. I, I just you know again one, we're talking about uh, um, shout outs and, and that that qualifies in my yeah book. really. It brings to mind uh, what was the movie the Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise scene. Oh, really, yeah, what what I forget. The I think landed a mall in the city street and and uh, taxied uh, up Dom, to the liquor store and Dom DeLuise. Dom DeLuise ran. got out and ran in while while. Uh, uh, Burt Reynolds turned the airplane around and they launched again. I, I don't know. It was one of the one of the seventies. Uh, yeah, it uh, was sort of like pinball run, but for airplanes or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So, uh, anyways, um, okay, we had but a lot it, of fun with that's it, not a good because, idea. The, the line because that's where the bar was kind of kind of reminded me of the 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 quote often attributed to the bank robber Willie Sutton, you know, which I think was made up by a reporter actually. 
uh, would ask, you know, why he was robbing banks. He said, well, that's where the money was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, why, why'd you land on the street? Well, that's where the bar is. <laughs> okay, enough. Uh, stick don't, a fork. Don't try this at home. Stick a fork in this one. Uh, one of those voices is Jeb Burnside. Jeb's a freelance writer. And, uh, freelance, oh, okay, I can, I can do this. Jeb's a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, quickly, what, have you been working on anything interesting? Uh, the aforementioned uh, issue of Aviation Safety Magazine. Uh, got some stories coming out in the um, uh, next or the, uh, whatever issue of uh, Avionics News for the Aircraft Electronics Association. That'll be on the streets for Oshkosh, and you can read it for free uh, at that time. Um, and uh, a bunch of other little stuff that I can't really talk about right now. Um, but um, that's it. And in general, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, well, let's see. AviationSafetyMagazine.com, AEA.net, JEBurnside.com. And uh, Facebook and the Twitter and you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, and on the Twitter, you are? Burnside J. And that other voice is Dave Higdon, uh, an aviation photographer, aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, what have you been working on? Uh, working on some uh, stuff for World Aircraft Sales, taking a look at the state of the market uh, and uh, how to upgrade smartly and what you need to be doing in today's business aviation climate. Uh, I have a couple of other pieces uh, coming out this fall that we just finished that can't talk about yet. And uh, like Jeb, uh, we'll have a little work showing up at Oshkosh under the uh, – under the banner of the Aircraft Electronics Association's Pilot's Guide to Avionics, which will be out next month and be given away free there at AEA. Yeah. I mean, there at Oshkosh by AEA. Yeah. yeah. And where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, AEA.net, avbuyer.com, uh, or throw a dart and just do a Google search. and Who knows what might pop up. And on the, on the Twitter, you are Real Higdon. I am Real Higdon. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Please check out my latest Kindle ebook, Around the Field, Volume 2, The Stories of the People, Places, and Planes of the Oshkosh Fly-In. You can read it on your Kindle device or with the Kindle Reader software on your iPad or tablet or a laptop or desktop computer. You can get information about all of my Kindle ebooks at Amazon.com slash author slash Jack Hodgson. And follow me on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson. Also, please sign up for my email newsletter. No more than once a week, I'll send you information about my publications and the other things I'm working on. There's a link to the subscription form and a lot of other information about me at jackhodgson.com. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for his help with the show notes and in the forums. Don't forget to check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. Uh, You can also see who's doing what on the new ratings webpage of fame and much, much more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you were going to say something? Want to live a long time? Go spend time flying because, you all know, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. And if you're going to land on a street in Manhattan, don't do it. Do just to get back to the bar. <laughs>